So thank you for that. Thank you for the prayer, Mike. And thank you that, and I'm so thankful that God put that verse on your heart because he's going to dovetail it to the questions that I have in my own life and the answer and the counsel that he was giving me all this morning, very early, up until I even stood up here. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. It says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The first thing we notice is that it's, it's the grace that's in Christ Jesus. It's not in ourself. Now, we're in him, but it's not in ourself in whatever we do or whatever we think apart from Christ. It's his grace. It is his grace. So, verse 2, And the things that you have heard of me, the things that you have heard of me, by many witnesses, the same that can give those testimonies, the same commit you to faithful men, who will be able to teach others. Now, when it says faithful men, it's going back to Ephesians 1, verse 1. We're simply faithful, not based upon, it's not saying, our faithfulness is not based upon what we do and what we don't do. It's that we've been placed in Christ. We received him as our Savior. That's Ephesians 1, verse 1. So you commit you to faithful men. Now it's going to go into who will be able, who, who will be able to teach others also. It also means they have to be taught. We have to be taught. Experience. You, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, this is really not the best translation, strives for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he, he strive lawfully. And we'll get into those portions at a different time. The husbandman that labors, notice this, the husbandman, the husbandman that labors must be first partaker of the fruits. That's why that's a pastor, an apostle to, an, a, pastor, to an, a young pastor saying, you, you, you need to labor. You need to labor so that you first be a partaker of the fruits not based upon what you do about what, about what you don't do, but based upon the fact that that grace that Christ is in truth is also not only given himself, but given all the fruit that he's accomplished on your behalf. That was the, the travail, the suffering of his soul in Isaiah 53 and verse 11. So the husbandman, that labors must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And that means it's all ours, but it's his very personally. And it's ours very personally, just as as personal as the apostle. And just as, as personal as Jesus Christ is now towards his father is the same towards you and I because we're in him. Remember, so wherefore, According to my gospel, wherefore, on account of this, I suffer what? Trouble. As an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake. He's included, right? He's part of the elect. He's including himself. I endure all things for the elect's sake. That they also may also obtain the salvation, the experiential deliverance that's theirs, 
that was given to them in their position, but now it's to be brought out in their experience, which is in Christ Jesus with what? With the view, the eyes on eternal glory. And of course, for us, there can't be any apart from Christ. We couldn't have him apart from, from grace and so on. Now, verse 11, for it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, if and we are in this context, first class, it's the first classification of the Greek word if, it, it, I mean, if, if and we are dead with him, we also will live with him. In Colossians 3, verse 4, he's our life. Now, if we suffer, we will also reign with him. If we suffer righteously, given this privilege and opportunity of grace to suffer. And notice what it says. If we suffer, we will also reign with him. We never suffer apart from him any more than we do reign without him, but we reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. This is speaking of fellowship and intimacy that sin interrupts. It's never about salvation ever. If, if we believe not, and what a way to live. God almighty, God, please, I don't want to live that way anymore to you. If we believe not, yet he abides faithful, he can't deny himself. Notice that. What a way to live. What a way to live. You follow the, the chapters. We have all those things. We're teaching them. We're teaching them. But something comes in that could cause us not to believe anymore, even what we teach. Even maybe what I experienced for a time. And now I don't. And then even if we, and the we there, are all of us that are in Christ. His person is for us. His work about us is finished. His love has been completed in 1 John 4, verse 18. That's why in, even here in this world we'll have tribulation in John 16, 33. But be of good cheer. I've already overcome the world. I've overcome everything. You're more than a conqueror. Romans 8, verse 37. So if we suffer with him, he reigns with us. But if we believe not, yet he still abides faithful, he can't deny himself. So to not believe him, is to act in the flesh and to deny him. And why would I do that? Why do we do it? Why do we do it? And I think, I believe for a Christian, those that are truly born again, and, and those that are truly in Christ, as their salvation, and remember, in Philippians 2, 12, and 13, where it says, work out your own salvation. That's not, again, not just the day that you were born again. This is most emphatically important as it is. But to work out your own salvation is your whole course, the whole course of your Christian life. And can I, that be worked out in me, out of me, if I don't have something in me? Work out your own salvation. It's very personal, very intimate. With a reverence and trembling. For it is God which works in you. Notice that. Oh, God, help us. For it is God that works in you. Stop not believing him. Why would you not do that? Who would be the source of causing you not to trust God and believe him? That's the enemy. That started in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. He 
said that God is a liar. You cannot trust him. He's holding back something from you. And so therefore, you're born again, but in this thing, you can't trust him. You can't. The only way we would live in unbelief is to know ourselves after what he's already dealt with. Work out your own salvation with a reverence and trembling, for it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And his good pleasure, Matthew 3 and verse 17 and 17 and verse 5, is Christ, where all the pleasure of God is and where all that pleasure is in me because Christ is in me and I am in him. Now, what would cause us to not believe? And here, I'm going to read these scriptures. And I am learning. This is why I said, please help me and let's help each other by concentrating because I need this counsel this morning. I, I have not come to the end of this. And God is counseling me and counseling us together. And that's why any, any kind of a distraction. This is so... Things... We are so weak and we're so frail. It's not, God never gets distracted. Did you know that? In Job 36, verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous. But because we're so weak and frail, if we don't give our full attention and concentration, we will easily get distracted. Easily get distracted. And so, again, in Luke 2, I'm just going to read this one verse and you can get the context of Luke, the second chapter, in verse 14, it says this, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. If we say goodwill, since we know it's goodwill, it could only be God's will. Because there's only good in him in Luke 18, 19, and in Matthew 19, 17, and 18. There's good, God only is good in Exodus 34 and verse 6. It's this very nature, goodness. So glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, God's will towards men. And what is God's will towards men? What is God's will towards you and I in Christ? What is his will that we should function in? What comes in between and what, what causes us to miss love, experiential and Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and, and temperance, which is self-control. Against such, there's no, there's no law. But what is it? Love. Love, as many have said, is the cause, and the other eight are the effects of that love. So love, being loved by God, because as he is, so are we, in 1 John 4, verse 17, and his love has been completed with us, about us, concerning us, and his son. And that's why there's no fear in love. But what brings in the fear? What affects the joy? Love, there's love. Then the first thing, love, is who God is in 1 John 4, 8 and 16. And in his presence in John 16, 11, there is what? Joy. And there's joy. But what? What happens? What, are we, what is the believer? What was I missing? What was I searching for this morning? And what was I saying, God, why? What is this? Why does it seem that I'm occupied with so many other things in place of you? What, what is going on, God? What is it? And he made it very clear. You're not experiencing the peace that I have made to be yours. 
Joy may be up and down, but as far as God's side is, that peace is settled forever because in Ephesians 2 and verse 14, he is our peace. And then that peace guards us like a sentinel in Philippians 4 and verse 7. And in Isaiah 26, verse 3, you will keep him in perfected peace. What perfected our peace was the love of God giving us his son. Why don't I have joy, God? Well, because you're not experiencing the peace that's been made yours. Now, in Romans, the fifth chapter, therefore being justified by faith, therefore being cleared of all guilt and condemnation by absolute dependence upon Jesus Christ and him alone, we have peace. It's not let us have peace, as some commentaries have said, it's not that at all in the context. Matter of fact, the Greek words wouldn't even make any sense. Therefore, being justified, being cleared by faith, it's not let us, but we have it. We have peace as far as God is concerned through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access by faith, this dependence, into this grace. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and, and we'll see the correlation into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice with an unbelievable joy and the hope of Christ in us in Colossians 1.27 in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation knowing that tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope makes not a shame because the love of God is poured out without measure in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in God's perfect time, his appointed time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. The ungodly. Did the peace that God gave me have anything to do with myself? Not a single thing. Because when we were yet without strength, completely weak and frail, and by the way, in ourselves right now, that's what we are, we're weak. He has to constantly convince us of that. When we were yet without strength, in God's perfect timing, Christ died for who? The ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man. <laughs> Some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinning against him, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we will be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, notice it, enemies, yet without strength, sinning, doesn't stop there, but enemies. Enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we will be saved continually, experience this deliverance through death and having life by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the reconciliation. That's the proper word there, the reconciliation. Now, again, it's talking about peace. Jesus said in, in, in John 14, verse uh, 27, he said, let not your heart be troubled. He said it, he said it in John 14, 1, uh, let not your heart be troubled. Do believe in God, believe in me. If it wasn't so, I never would have told you. And then in 14.27 of John, he said, let not your heart be troubled. My peace I have given unto you. I have given unto you. 
But there's a difference in these two terms of peace. There's, there's a difference. One of those peace, the peace that we have in Romans 5, 1 and 2, has been accomplished by Christ in Ephesians 2, verse 14, who is our peace positionally. But now, in this world where there's trouble and where all kinds of things come against me, do I experience the peace that he's made mine in my position? And it's a big difference. There's a huge difference. Of course, when he said, even in John 14, 27, he was saying, this peace I've given you, in your experience, and it's based upon what you already have in your position in me. But now I'm giving you a peace to see you all the way through until you see me face to face. Until you see me in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, face to face. So, what is missing? Why? Why? What would be missing? Well, and I'm going to read Colossians, the first chapter. And you can see it even before you get to verse 21, but you can go uh, Colossians chapter 1, 1 through, and here we are in 20. And having made peace. It's really in the Greek, making peace. And making peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated, alienated. You see, when I don't have the experiential peace, when I don't have his peace that he gives me, and based upon the peace that's mine and my position in him, and when I don't have that, I experience what? Alienation. I experience being alienated. And so, again, as it says here, and you that were sometime alienated, and then enemies in your mind. So when I'm alienated and I don't experience peace, then I begin to face God as a judge and not as a loving father. That's what we do. That's what I do. That's what we can do. And enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. So the enemy comes in and says, see, this is what you did. This is what you did. This is who you are. You can't, you know, yeah, he, maybe, maybe he, he saved you. Maybe he didn't. But if he did, look what you'd still do anyways. Look what you do. To make you and I alienated through not having the full thought of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 16, and then trying to make ourselves sufficient when who is sufficient for these things in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 16, who's sufficient for these things? All our sufficiency is in Christ. It has nothing to do with our thoughts. It doesn't have a single thing to do with it. And so now, you that were sometime alienated, when I'm alienated, I, get, I view God as a judge, I become his enemy, then he becomes mine. Then everybody else does. And I view even positive truth being preached to me in this place where I don't have peace. Now I'm the enemy. And others make me the enemy. All because, all because of this one thing that we will see. He's yet now reconciled us. He's dealt with us. Question is this. I said to God this morning, why are these things troubling me? I am so tired of this, God. 
people's things, what they don't know, how bad they're taught, what I don't seem to know, this thing and that thing and all that. I've all those things been taken care of by Jesus Christ. They have been. They have been. But the, he makes it very personal. You know, he's after intimacy with us. And if we don't have settled peace in our experience, can I experience true intimacy? And do I truly have fellowship? Something gets in the way, and the enemy will do a thousand different things for the Christian. He will give you a thousand different things to keep you alienated. He will raise up Christian friends that are living in the world to cause you to be alienated. Cause you to be alienated. And then everything's an enemy. You do your best to get by. But the question remains in all of us individually. That blood that has cleansed the conscience in Hebrews 10, 1 and 2. Now, do I experience that reality? Or am I experiencing in Titus 1, verse 15? It says to the pure, that's who we are in Christ, in opposition. But are we in our experience? To the pure, all things are pure. But to them, that are, is anything pure? No. Why? Because their conscience is defiled. How would a believer's conscience be defiled that now that it's pure in their position in Christ? It's through a lie. It's through temptation. And the enemy will raise up everything to come against the Christian. He'll use knowledge of the Scriptures without experience. You want to talk about bondage. What good is knowledge? And we do have it positionally, but what good is it if we don't experience it? Do we experience his the height of his glory. And nothing changes that. That's why we don't make him Lord. He's Lord no matter what. And, and 2 Timothy 2 verse 13 is making that crystal clear. Even if we abide in our faith, for he abides faith. Who can't deny himself? What? That he's sovereign and he's Lord. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. And you experience that. Not through works. Not through doing, but simply receiving what's already been done because now in your experience you have the peace, the settled peace that God has with his satisfaction about his son in, in you and you and him. And you have that. But in my experience right now, God, God, why are all these things troubling me? Why? Job cried it out in Job 23, verse 16. He said, the Almighty troubles me. He's not the cause of the trouble, but he'll use it because he has to bring us to the place of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness and to see that our all is in Christ. Not a single thing in this world can replace him. If I like something that's not like God, I'll never have peace in my experience, ever. Never. I just won't. And the fact that we go after so many other things, even in our schedules, proves the fact that we still are searching for the peace that's already ours, but we're not experiencing it. And so we use things, even people. And some might even say it's for their sake that we do these things. But we could do that, obviously, in ignorance. And of course, none of us know anything like we ought to know, none of us, in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3. Question is, how can I get peace? I, okay, God, I know. I believe peace. I believe you settled peace on the cross in Colossians 1, verse 20, in Christ. I believe that. I believe we have that peace in Romans 5, 1 and 2. I believe that. I, 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 I can declare that. But why am I not experiencing 
the peace. How can I get peace with God? Is it up to me to get it? Or do I already have it? He made peace. And that was between his son and himself. That's the answer to Abraham to Isaac. It's, it's, it's the answer in Genesis 22 and verse 8. My, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. And in providing for himself the peace that he has about every single thing about you as an individual in Christ, he wants you to have in your experience. Because he's been propitiated. You have a substitute. What am I substituting for Christ? That's the thing that gets in the way of the answer. God, how can I have peace? You know, I tried so many different things, even recently. And God just told me, you know what? You, you want that thing because you're missing peace. And if you don't have an object, if Christ isn't your continual object, you have to find something to master you. If you're not, if he's not your Lord, not you making him your Lord, but if he isn't your Lord based upon what he did and finished about you, then you've got to substitute something in place of him. How can I get peace? I believe in Colossians 1.20, you made peace. I don't deny it. I don't, God. I believe it. But I don't experience that peace. Tell me. Tell me, how can I have that peace myself, God? I don't want to just preach it and declare it. I don't care about anything else, God. I, got, I, I want that peace. Well, I know being justified by faith, we do have peace with God. We do, as the scriptures of what we've said. And so I know it's written and I believe it, but I don't experience that peace that I know. I know it, but I don't experience it. I see every, it seems like I see all other Christians happy. How do they get this happiness in their self-consciousness? How do they get that? How is it to be had? Well, the enemy would bring in this thought. Eh, don't you think because of the way you are living right now, skip, skip Romans 5, 1 through 11. Skip that understanding, the enemy. He says, get away from that for a moment. Don't you think that it's presumption that great transgression in Psalm 19, 13, and 4. Don't you think it's presumptuous to be at peace with God and to have the assurance of his absolute favor and grace and to have that in your own experience as your own salvation? Look at what you are. Look at what you do. That's where all these other isms come in. All this other false teaching. All this trying and fleshly works a ton of all kinds of works, but fleshly works, done in ignorance maybe, but no intimacy with Christ. It's a complete desire. You know how many Christian songs I hear? They're, they're crying out for this deep desire that God has already met in them. And, and me too. That was my cry. Well, it should be in me, this peace, and I see it. I see it in Scripture. I know it to be right. But you know what? I hardly see anyone enjoying this grace, this favor that you have today, like so many other Christians. And when that question about peace is raised, 
when, if it's true, if I want to be honest with you, God, in my own life, I, I know I'm not at peace experientially in this particular circumstance or this situation. And because I don't have that peace, can I have the assurance then of that divine favor, that divine grace resting upon me in Christ? Can I? As I see you and I see others enjoying it, but I don't. It becomes a very serious thing, as it was for me this morning. And you say, as I know, it's serious. Because if being justified by faith, cleared of all guilt and condemnation, and we have peace with God, as you say, and I know the scriptures say it, and I don't have that peace with God, then how can I know that I really am guiltless and there's no condemnation that I'm truly justified? Did you know, and, and I remember this years ago. I was in Florida, it was in the 90s. When God brought this truth to me, and of course I'm still growing in it to this second, that just as much as you could say to a Christian, are you born again? You could just as much say to them, are you guilt-free? Are you guilt-free? Are you guiltless? Because we are in Christ in Romans 8.1. We are. So, if I don't have the true experiential knowledge of this justification by faith, if I don't have it, it's not that we're not saying that we are and that we're not justified in God's sight, but our conscience has not yet possession of it, in my experience. It just isn't there. And then the conscience does what? The enemy uses it that we got as a result of the fall to condemn us to make us just quit, to make us say it's too much, God's an enemy now, and I'm going to fight, and I'm just going to quit. Well, you know, even in the Reformation period, even in that period, they all held that if a man had not the assurance of his own salvation, he wasn't justified at all. If you didn't have, and I don't have that assurance, of justification, cleared of all guilt and condemnation, then can I have and do I have the assurance of a salvation? And how many Christians don't? I'm going to tell you why, and I am learning with you as a weak and frail vessel that when you fuse justification with sanctification, this is what you end up with. You end up with lordship salvation. You end up going back to works again because Christ is not enough because you don't have peace, that settled peace that you know to be declared in the scriptures but you don't experience it so you go right back to the law again. We don't have that knowledge. We don't have it. But I, I know that whosoever believes in the Son of God is in God's sight, he is justified from all things. That's very clear in the scriptures. That makes it clear in Acts 13, 38. And 39. Justified from what? All things. Not only my sins. Justified because of it. Not that I can't be deceived, but am I justified from it? As far as God's concerned. And any accusation that comes against me. You know when the enemy can accuse us of something? He'll make us accusers of others because in reality he's got us accusing God of something that's lacking in our experience. And when we don't have peace, Oh boy, what will we do to get it? Where will that enemy lead us to go? To get us involved in and call it Christian service. 
Well, well, the fact of the matter is, until that you and I are experientially taught of God, until you and I apprehend the value of Christ's work, you and I don't have any consciousness of it in our own self-consciousness in our soul. And of course, the more earnest we are, the more we desire it and don't have it, the more frustrating and irritating and deadly it is. Do I have peace? Solidly. solidly. Do I have it? Solidly. Established. I won't have it until I know and experience who I am in Christ and who he is in me. And as well as that not Christ died for him. And that Christians getting on day by day trying to make it is a false and hollow thing. Why? Because they don't have experiential peace. They don't have it. And I, do, I don't have it. It is that thing that causes even distress to many Christians on deathbeds. They don't have that peace. Of course, the unsaved even more so. But the character of Christian activity then. Here's what happens when we don't have peace, honestly. And we're trying to find it. And, and, and we call it serving God because of what he's done. This is what happens. Christian activity becomes sadly deteriorated and made a business of. A kind of means of getting happy. It's not work in the spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit, but a soul at peace. (laughs) It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. Listen, God has not given us a spirit of fear in 2 Timothy 1.7, but of power. And love a very well disciplined mind. If you and I then are really serious, and boy, I was serious this morning, and I truly desire to walk before God, I can't rest in spirit until I'm at peace with Him experientially. And the deeper all these exercises are, He made it clear to me it's better. It's better. It's better. Because all these exercises and all these thoughts and all these things are, the, are just things bringing up those weeds to the surface. And God is plowing us all those areas where we've been deceived by the enemy still. Deceived. And where he, in that deception, begins to accuse us and then will use us to accuse others and become fruit inspectors. And think it even, even is a good thing. But then, but the fact of the matter is this plowing, this field, and what he's doing, and it's deep and it can be hurtful. In this way, it's extremely necessary. But they're not the crop. Those weeds are not the crop which faith in the finished work of Christ produces. He's got to get those out. He must increase. And John 3.30, but I must decrease. And until I receive something in my experience from heaven, my proper position in John 3, verse 27, I can't go forward. I just don't go forward until there's peace. And until I have that, can I grow in grace and knowledge? In 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. Fact of the matter is, fact of the matter is, his work is finished. He still has a lot of finishing to do based upon our position, but bringing it into our experience. His work is finished. And, the, and what he's doing in us by plowing up 
even these areas that cause great distress and not having peace is based upon the work that he's already finished or he wouldn't even begin that. And it's very necessary. Very necessary. His work is finished. He appeared once in the end of this age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. We see that very clearly in Hebrews 9, 24, right through the end of the chapter. He's put an end. He's made an end of sins. He finished the work which his father gave him to do in John 17 and verse 4. He finished it before he even went to the cross. And the cross was just the definition and manifestation of it. There's no peace experientially without an experiential cross. And when I look at the cross, I don't see God as a judge. I see a father making peace with me. And how many others see it that way, Christians, and then teach it that way? I deeply desire peace. I don't want to preach a good message about peace. I don't want to be a great servant of, and go out and preach. I got to have this peace in my soul. Because if I don't, I just keep filling it up. Filling up the empty space experientially. And you can see that. And if you don't believe it, you look in the book of Ecclesiastes. Oh, vanity, vanity. All is vanity for the person, the believer that's in Christ. Who try to fill the hole that's already been filled experientially. Not knowing that it is positionally. And hasn't yet entered into the experience. I will do so many other things to try and get this peace that I don't experience. And boy, do we need that peace experientially based upon what's been finished for us. That work of Christ that he did alone, which puts away our sins, is complete and accepted of God. Ephesians 1.6, we're accepted in the beloved. And if we come to God by him, if you and I, when we come to him, if our sins are not all put away by that work that he finished completely and forever, they can never be. They can't ever be because Christ can't die again. He that dies once dies no more in Romans 6, verse 9. And he did it all by the one sacrifice in Hebrews 10, 10 and Hebrews 10, verse 14. Or else, as the apostle, he says it again, and he reasons it again in Hebrews, the ninth chapter. You read that, read in Hebrews 9, 20, right till the end. He must often have suffered. Well, I can say, well, I can say God right now, even right now, I'm seeing it more clearly. And it is a perfect, complete, finished work done once for all who would choose. It's done once in Hebrews 10.10. That's why it doesn't say for all in the original. It's done once, but it's whosoever will in Revelations 22 and verse 17. Then you enter into Hebrews 10.14, completed forever in him. And then you go on in your experience, in my experience, in 1 John 4, 17. We're to have boldness in the day of judgment. If we're to have it then, shouldn't we have it now? Because as Christ is right now, seated in heaven, representing us, finished, completed about us, so are we right now in this world. And that's why there's no fear in love. Because love that's been perfected, completed about me individually and you individually casts out fear. Because fear has torment. And torment, what it does to Christians, 
what it can do to them and what the enemy uses it to in his lie that they have to do something, what it drives them to do. Because all he wants to do, he'll give you everything. But the reason he gives it is because he's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. To get involved with things, to think you're doing God's service, and he means it to destroy you. He, you can't, he can't take away the settled peace and opposition with Christ. That's why sin doesn't touch relationship with God. But it, he does come after the experience. The wicked one in 1 John 5, 18, he can't touch my position, but he will do everything he can to steal, kill, and destroy my experience, the experience of the peace that's mine based upon who Christ is in me and who I am in him. And so I still see it. I'm seeing it more clearly. Well, then, what do I want then? What do I need in order to have peace? I want to see it. I want to experience it more clearly. And if I don't, I become anxious. But before we speak of the condition and those hindrances that come against it, to have the work, the finished work itself, clearly brought before our minds is extremely necessary. That's why we need positional truth. But actually, the, the answer to the question is, who did this work? Who did it? Well, Christ did, of course. Of course he did it. Well, okay, Ed, you say that. Yes, Lord, I said it this morning. Yes, you have completed it. Okay, but then my next question is, what part did you have in completing it? Well, none. None, of course, except if you say your sins were there. And to what is your condition? What, to what condition of your soul does that apply? That peace that he made yours in Romans chapter 5, 1 to 11. What is it? A godly or an ungodly state? A godly condition or an ungodly one? Well, but aren't I supposed to be holy in my behavior? God? I'm just sick of it. Yes, without holiness, no man will see the Lord in Hebrews 12 and verse 14. Yes, but don't you see how quickly, Ed, that's what you're saying to me, don't you see how quickly and with that false, ingrained instinct of self-righteousness, you turn from Christ's work to what you want to make your own holiness and to what you are. Oh, God. How we would ever have peace there? Well, that quick-sightedness of each one of us that makes nothing of Jesus Christ and all the approval and satisfaction that God the Father is in resting in Him. Well, you know what? Even the fact that we desire holiness, and that's why in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Why? Because the hope's in the wrong place. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's necessary. It's necessary for us. Hope deferred makes the, the, heart, the heart sick. But when the desire, where is all our desire met? Isn't it in Christ? Doesn't that include holiness, the desire for holiness? Does it not? Well then, that desire that you and I have, I so wanted this morning, is the desire of the new man. And he's plowing up the old. Plowing it up. Oh boy. He's seeking to awaken our conscience. 
Not to talk of peace, he can't. But first to break up false peace. Who am I relying on? Whatever, whomever, wherever I go outside of him, I will never have peace. Never. Doing service for him and not having peace is not doing anything that God likes. Because we have the peace that his son is. Ephesians 2 and verse 14. Well, I'm anxious, God, in my experience. I just can't find peace. You won't. You won't. And sometimes I don't even care. But even when you bring that up, that troubles me. But I still don't have peace. And oh God, I would give anything for it. I don't want to preach. I just, Lord, I don't, I don't go anywhere, do anything. I, 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 please, Lord, I got to have this peace. Well, where do we find that? I'll tell you where we find it. We have to humbly learn what we are apart from him in our experience with this false peace that the enemy gave us to replace true peace, experiential peace based upon our position. What would we give? What would we give to actually learn that? Well, the enemy would rather have us occupied with a few bucks, a few dollars to try and replace that peace that we so deeply desire in our souls. Oh boy, I'll tell you. No wonder the church, sadly, and the support of it, sadly, is going on. And the preaching of peace, no wonder, no wonder it is. Because the enemy gets Christians occupied with themselves in, in self-occupation and he pierces them through with, many, through with many sorrows in 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10 because the inordinate affection that money attaches to the soul is, is the source of all evil. But I repeat the question. Does this work of Christ apply simply to, to our ungodliness or godliness? Or, listen, to an improved state at least. Think about that. I have to, imp Jesus did all this, now I have to improve my state. The only way you can do that is to go away from him who finished it back to the law again. Lordship salvation, covenant theology, fusing Judaism and who I am in Christ. Judaism with Christianity, mixed with Christianity is nothing more than Christendom. It's nothing more than the world entering into the thought the mind of a believer. And that first thing is, what must I do? You know that. You, see, you saw, and I saw, and we'll have to stop this. But you and I saw, we see it right back. Don't we see it right back again? In the garden, in Genesis, the third chapter. They didn't have peace. The enemy lied to them. Told them, you can do this. God's holding back something from you. You can't trust him. Boy, when we don't trust him, do we have peace? I can't, you can't trust him. You can't trust him. He's holding back from you. He doesn't want you to be just like him, as if anybody ever could. You can do without him. And he convinced Eve of that. And then he gave it, then she gave to her husband. She was deceived. He, he transgressed on purpose. Yeah, he was doing it for his wife. No, he wasn't. 
He was doing it about self. And then they, then they, the enemy would use them to accuse God. That's what we do when we don't have peace. Ultimately. Because what's the sense? He convinced them. And even, then they go about, this is the Christian. This is the Christian. They go about trying to hide from God by Christian activity. They even use the trees that were designed by God to bless them and bring forth fruit that they could partake of. Now they use it to hide from God because they don't have peace anymore. They don't have it. So they have to cover it up. Preaching and teaching and Christian activity. But God sees right through it and he asks them the questions, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And we can know where we are, and we'll have to finish this on, on Friday, but we can know where we are based upon the peace that we have or don't have. And even when we don't have it, again, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13, even if we believe not, he abides faithful, he can't deny himself. But what a way to live. Now, I don't know about you men, but I know about me. I don't want to live that way. That's not life. Christ is our life. Based upon the peace that he is, he's our life. And we do have peace with God. It's not let us have peace with God through fleshly works, going back to covenant theology, going back to lordship salvation, trying to do something, finish in ourselves, which we never can, which is already finished by him. No wonder we don't have peace. Boy, we need to learn it. Thank you, Lord, that we do have peace. We have the perfection of your peace. Will you rest? God has peace about us because he's resting in the son of his love. That's where I meet him. Not as a judge. Not as one pointing at me, saying, you don't do this and you don't do that. You don't do this enough. No, it's Galatians 5, 6. It's not what I do and what I don't do, but a faith that expresses, a dependence that is expresses itself through actually experientially being loved by God based upon our position. Oh, Lord, help us. And I, I say, God, help me. Help all of us. But help me. Help my wife. Help everyone that I know. Every believer, every friend, every body member experience the intimacy with Christ, that, that peace, the peace of Christ is so one where his father rests and where our father in John 20 verse 17 rests in Jesus' name. Amen.